0: Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the human endeavor.
1: Hub and spoke. Audio Collective.
0: Okay, first today a warning. This episode will contain some rude words. Not very rude, but you know, potty humor, and it starts right now. Poopoo. poo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> with the poo
0: That's my old pal Nina Porzuki and her two-year-old son Boris. He's learning to talk. And
2: he thinks that the words poo and poop are hilarious because they are.
0: Yeah, who doesn't? I mean, I'm with Boris all the way.
2: Yeah, poop is an undeniably funny word. And if you don't think so... Right, Patrick. (laughs) But it's actually not the first word that made Boris crack up. So early on, when he was really, really small, before he could really, really say anything, he would belly laugh when I said the word boot. I mean, he just cracked up. He thought it was so hilarious. Boot. (laughs) Which actually kind of makes me laugh now. But it got me thinking, what exactly makes words funny?
0: From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, Stories About Languages and the People Who Speak Them. I'm Patrick Cox. In this episode, Beyond Poop. What's the nature of a funny word? Can we ever know?
2: So, Patrick, when you first asked me to do a podcast about humor, I thought, oh, God. First, there is nothing, nothing less funny than analyzing humor. And second, I thought humor is just relative. It's a very subjective thing. Did you see the new special from the comedian uh, Joe Firestone called Good Timing? No, tell me about it. So during COVID, Joe Firestone, who's a brilliant comedian, she taught this comedy class to seniors in New York City, and it was great, and they filmed a special about it. And she did this exercise with her students testing out what was funny and what isn't. I'm just going to say words, and you just say whether it's funny or not funny in by, by itself, okay? Ready? Peanuts!
1: Funny! funny. Okay. Salt.
2: <laughs> okay, how about treadmills?
1: Not at all. Very serious.
2: <laughs> Gerbils?
0: Wait, is she asking about the sound of the word, or, or its meaning? Well, that's a very big question, and, and we'll get to that, I promise. Pumpkins. I don't think so. Pumpkins are not funny. Neutral. Pumpkins are neutral. neutral yeah. I don't okay, know. Pumpkins are, are kind of funny to me. I didn't grow up eating pumpkins. They are? Pumpkins are funny? Yeah. They sound funny, too. Pumpkins.
2: <laughs> See? Humor. It just all seems rather subjective, no? And kind of impossible to prove. Like, why are pumpkins... Funny to you or not so funny to all these seniors. Well, it turns out that's not entirely the case.
1: We were really the first people who seriously tried to predict what people were going to find funny and succeeded. And of course, we only succeeded because we were looking at the world's worst jokes.
2: That's Chris Westbury. He's a psycholinguist at the University of Alberta. And the jokes he studied weren't
1: knock-knock jokes or
2: even one-liners. Chris's inquiry began with a single word. Actually, everything started with a single Non-word.
1: Now, non-word was Snuncoopel. Snuncoopel—is that what he said? Snuncoopel doesn't it just roll off the tongue? Snuncoopel, which later became actually strangely famous.
2: How do you spell it? How
1: do you smell S <laughs> S N U N K O O P L E.
2: This non-word actually came up in a study Chris was doing that had nothing to do with humor. It was a study about aphasia, people who have had brain damage and have lost language functioning. And basically for the study, the participants were asked to look at a bunch of random letters on a screen and determine whether what they were reading was a word or not a word. And what Chris noticed was that without fail, people just kept laughing at the made-up word, snunkupel.
1: All of the non-words were made up by computer. We didn't have anything to do with it, so we, we didn't choose that word because it was funny. But the interesting thing is, we thought it was funny too, and most people do. So my grad student had suggested that we should try and figure out why.
2: Initially, Chris dismissed this out of hand. How could they measure humor? But then one day, he was reading a book by Arthur Schopenhauer.
1: Schopenhauer, who was a very kind of dreary german philosopher a pre-existentialist who wrote a lot about how life was you know, really terrible and all that nina is this a funny story that i'm not getting i mean what a depressed
0: german philosopher
2: patrick just think dark humor here go with it chris came upon a passage in this book by schopenhauer that intrigued him
1: he actually in the middle of his his book wrote that uh A theory that said basically, the more unexpected something is, the funnier it is. And when I read that, the light went on in my head because that's something that we could actually use.
2: What Schopenhauer wrote about is an idea that several other philosophers have also touched upon, incongruity. Sometimes it's called the incongruity resolution theory, or sometimes just the theory of incongruity.
0: give Give me an example of incongruity.
2: So... Comedians do this all of the time, but let's take the one liner for an example, an easy example. So, back in the 1960s, the comedian Henny Youngman was the king of one liners. Here he is on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1967.
1: Today, ladies and gentlemen, today I've been married for 15 happy years. And 15 out of 39 isn't bad. <laughs>
2: All right, all right. So it's an old style joke that isn't super funny in 2022, but it is a great example of incongruity. He sort of flips your expectations there.
1: Cicero wrote, the most common kind of joke is when we expect one thing and another is said, in which case our own disappointed expectation makes us laugh.
2: Cicero, the Roman philosopher, of course, I just want to emphasize here, Patrick, though, that this is not a panacea. Incongruity is not always funny, of course. But what Chris realized when that light bulb went off when he was reading Schopenhauer is that he could measure incongruity to see whether it truly does correlate to humor.
1: We measure how incongruous a word is by doing statistics.
2: So in his first paper, he just looked at non-words like...
1: That's non SNUN thing. (laughs)
2: snun Yeah, well, funny enough, he actually doesn't test snun but he did test a corpus of made-up computer-generated non-words.
1: We just started mathematically looking at them, and we found out that we could explain which non-words people found funny based on basically the probability of the letters in the word is essentially what it comes down to.
0: Wait a minute. I don't understand what that means, the probability of the letters in the word.
2: Well, what he's saying here is it just the more unusual, the combination of the letters, the more
0: unexpected,
1: the more incongruous it is, the weirder the word is, the funnier people find it with some constraints. If you make a really stupid word that has like no vowels in it or something, people don't find it funny. So there's there's something in there. But if you make a a reasonable word that's made up of unusual letters and sounds, the more unusual the letters and sounds are, the funnier people find it. OK, I have to ask you this again now.
0: Is he taking the sounds into consideration? Were the study participants judging the humor of these non-words by looking at the words or just hearing them, or, or both?
2: Actually, participants were just reading these made-up words, so sound doesn't come into play. But As you heard, Chris created a statistical model that was pretty good at predicting what people would read was funny. So he decided to take his research one step further and create a model for actual words in English. More on that after the break.
0: A question for you, dear listener. Have you subscribed yet to Subtitles newsletter? If not, please consider doing it. Every other week you'll find a fun and informative little missive in your inbox. We pick out our favorite language-related stories in the news, we've got sneak peeks of upcoming episodes. We tell you about words from other languages we think really ought to be in English. English does have a lot of words, but it could use so many more. We'd love it, actually, if you told us about your favorite non-English words. Each edition of our newsletter is a five-minute read. No more than that. We won't waste your time. Subscribe at our website, subtitlepod.com slash newsletter. That's subtitlepod.com slash newsletter newsletter.
1: This is going to sound stupid but gazebo like what what a word for
2: such an innocuous thing? That's Joanna Hausman, comedian, bilingual Spanish and English speaker, friend of the podcast. I asked her what she thought the funniest word was in English. For the longest time, I have an American friend who who thought it was pronounced gazebo and I would prefer it to be pronounced gazebo. But I just think the word gazebo doesn't feel English, and what it's used to describe is so like specific and dumb. I'm, I think I've said gazebo maybe once in context, and it was at my like rich friend's house in Connecticut. Because who else has a gazebo? It's special when you hear it because you. When would you say it? It's not like egg, which egg is kind of funny, but like egg is just. Oh, I, I say egg regularly or chair. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I think the way that Joanna says egg and chair makes me think they're funny. She can turn any word into funny. Yes, gazebo is funny weird, but I don't know. If you're a certain type of comedian, it seems to me like you can make any word sound funny.
2: Well, I think that there's something to be said about saying a word over and over again until it becomes devoid of its meaning. Like if you said egg a thousand times, it would suddenly not... Feel like an egg, but sound like
0: something completely foreign. Do you know what I mean? Plus, also, there's the meaning side of it. An egg is kind of otherworldly. It's one of the weirdest food items there is. It is. It's an embryo. It's an embryo.
2: God. But I think, like, whatever Joanna would say is funny. She's just a funny person. (laughs) I was going to say egg, it's going to sound funny. But she's kind of onto something here. Gazebo. The word is funny precisely because we don't expect to hear the word gazebo on a regular basis. So getting back to Chris Westbury's research, after he was able to predict humor in non-words, he turned his focus to single words. Could he predict which words are the funniest? He used two sets of predictors. First, he looked at what he called
0: information-theoretic predictors information theoretic predictors Did you get that from Schopenhauer too?
2: <laughs> I know it's it's very jargony, but basically what it means is how a word is constructed, starting with like certain letters of the alphabet.
1: I met a comic when I was working on the first paper and he he mentioned to me in passing that the letter K was considered funny by comics. I'd never heard, I uh, I shouldn't say I'd never heard that before because I had seen the movie The Sunshine Boys, but I saw it about 40 years ago. I didn't
2: remember. The Sunshine Boys was a play by Neil Simon and then a 1975 film starring Walter Matthau as an aging comic and Richard Benjamin as his nephew.
1: And in The Sunshine Boys, there's a scene where uh, one of the comics explains to his nephew that you should use words that, that have K in it. You know what makes an audience laugh? you know which words are funny and which words are not funny? You told me a hundred times, Uncle Willie. Listen, I have which to get to the office. Which words are funny?
0: Words with a K in it are funny.
1: I have to get to the office. Words with a K in it are funny. You didn't know that, did you? I'll tell you which words always get a laugh. Alka-Seltzer? Alka-Seltzer is funny. Chicken? Chicken is funny. Pickle. Pickle is funny. I...
0: I had no idea that the letter K had this reputation for being funny. I had no idea.
2: Yeah, I know. Neither did I. It's common knowledge in the, the world of comedy. <laughs> I don't know if it's common knowledge, but I hadn't heard that either. But funnily enough, pun intended, I was chatting with Philip Jeremic. He is a comic and uh, also bilingual English and Serbian speaker. And he told me that the funniest Serbian word he knows, according to him,
0: is kikiriki. Kikiriki. What What does that mean? Peanuts. And it's very phonetic. It's K-I-K-I-R-I-K-I. Kikiriki. That is funny in, in a kind of cute, funny way. I wonder if it sounds funny in Serbian, too. Like, are like K-words funny in other languages, too? The short answer is,
2: I don't know. So, Philip is a bilingual speaker, and likely his funny bone is influenced by English as well as Serbian. So... I don't know if it's funny in Serbian to just, you know, monolingual Serbian speakers. But in English, Chris Westbury actually proved that it's true. People intrinsically find K funny. And it's not just K.
1: Later on, we found out that words that have certain phonemes in them are also funny. And it happens that both P-L-E words, words that end in P-L-E, in fact, any consonant L-E, and words that have OO in them are judged funnier.
2: So the letter K, words with P-L-E and double O. My son, Boris, was not wrong when he thinks that boot is funny. Boot is funny. (laughs) These are what Chris deems information theoretic predictors. And Patrick, just in case you've forgotten, there's also another set of predictors.
0: Oh, yeah, I had forgotten. Another hilarious name for this, too, I'm sure.
2: Yes, it's just so funny. The other set of predictors that Chris modeled were what he called semantic predictors.
0: <laughs> Very funny, but but a little less jargony. I can actually understand what that means, I think. So these predictors are about meaning, like how fun a word is based on what it means? Exactly.
1: The weird thing about language is it has so many expectations built into it. There's so many ways for a word to be expected or unexpected that it gets really complicated. So when we switched from looking at non-words to words, suddenly there was all kinds of incongruity.
2: All kinds of other incongruity, because unlike non-words, real words have meaning, as Chris pointed to. I could say a non-word like, I don't know, doopity-doop to you. <laughs> 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 that might be funny, but when I say poop?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny in a different way. Uh, only a slightly different way from, what was it? Doopity-doop. <laughs> doopity-doop. But yeah, no, it's that extra funny way because there's meaning. And so you, your head kind of goes to a certain place when people say poop.
2: Right. Like what if I said poop in like a very unlikely setting, like at a job interview, for example?
1: That, <laughs> that would be awkward, but it would also be funny
2: or on a date, that would be really, really awkward too.
1: You don't expect certain kinds of words to appear in certain situations, and when they do, people laugh. You see this in in stand-up comedy all the time. Stand-up comics often use language that would normally not be used in a public situation, right? They swear a lot, and they often talk about uh, really personal incidents that normally you would not talk about to a group of people. Both of those are playing on incongruity, right?
2: One of my favorite comics, actually, Uh, Maria Bamford, is the master of incongruity.
1: This is my anxiety song, and I'll leave you at this. Uh,
2: If I keep the ice cube trays filled, no one will die. As long as I clench my fists at odd intervals, then the darkness within me won't force me to do anything inappropriately violent or sexual at dinner parties. As long as I keep humming a tune. See what she does there? See what she does there? She's singing about anxiety, murder, like you name it.
0: Yeah, it's it's like almost like a meta-semantic incongruity because, and, oh, there I go with some jargon of my own. Because, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she, well, she's, she's blurting out all of these personal and inappropriate thoughts in right. front of an audience of, of strangers, presumably. And she's telling that audience about how she tries to, Not to blurt out those same thoughts in other settings. I mean, wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, she's singing them, so there's something, like, added there. (laughs) I love her. She's so great. Getting back to Chris's study for a moment, he actually determined um, six semantic categories. Sex, bodily functions, insults, swear words, partying, and my very favorite, animals.
1: Those categories were... We made them up by observation, and then we quantified them in a way that would be very tedious to explain, and you probably don't want to know, but we actually can tell how far away each word is from those categories. We have these really nice computational models that allow us to do that. So he
2: actually applied his nice computational model to a corpus of over
0: 45,000 words. 45,000 words. That guy's so many. Okay, out of those 45,000, what is the very funniest word?
2: Oh, gosh. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Patrick, but there's actually not just one front runner. Ugh. Everything was, yeah, I know. There's it's statistics. Things are statistically close. But the top 10 words estimated to be the funniest were upchuck, bubby, boff, wriggly, yaps, giggle, cooch, guffaw, puffball, and jiggly.
0: Wow. <laughs> I said them like so seriously. I, I Yeah, no, I'm really struggling with those as the top. What, jiggly 10 isn't the funniest word? Uh,
2: yeah, jiggly th- is really funny. Puffball, very funny. Well,
0: yeah, puffball's funny. You're right.
2: right. Puffball is really funny. I mean, boff, I don't even know what that means, but it looks funny. Anyway, so Chris, he actually created a list of more than 200 of the funniest
0: words, um, according
2: to his research.
0: Do you have any favorites among that larger list?
2: Of course I do, Patrick. So I guess my favorite would be snogging. And to be honest, I don't even know what it really means. But it just (laughs) looks and sounds really funny. Snogging.
0: Well, I do know what snogging means. Yeah, it's totally cute sounding. But I do know what it means, and I I can't really divorce my knowledge of what it means from the sound of it. I think the semantics kind of trumps the sound for me. So what does it mean? It means kissing. And it's something you learn when you're quite young. And you just use the word. I, at least I, growing up, just used the word snogging. I think, oh, at least until I was about twenty. So, like, basically, my entire childhood.
2: So you can't snog as an adult. It's like a kid kissing, like teenager kind of kissing kind of deal. No snogging as an adult. Yeah, no, <laughs> you I think snogging you... anymore.
0: <laughs> no, you just talk about other people snogging. You you wouldn't say to
2: somebody You're snickering about other people's <laughs> snogging
0: That's right, you you wouldn't say to your romantic partner Oh, let's have a snog It just, that doesn't sound good
2: It sounds so sweet It does sound so sweet <laughs> no. I'm just like, let's have a snog with some eggnog I don't no, know it's no, like, no, <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> It's the double G that gets me It's a really cute looking word But you know, the thing is, Patrick, let's just be honest here Poop is just the funniest word. I mean, Boris is not wrong. Poop is just super funny.
0: <laughs> you just wanted to say poop more than any other word on this podcast, right?
2: Oh, totally. Totally.
0: Yeah, I'm probably with you and Boris. It's probably the best poop of the lot. Poop is funny.
2: Moving on, you know, Chris... Westbury, he did go on to study funny word pairs, so he went from non-words to words, and then he was like, ah, oh, I'll test out some funny word pairs. And he liked to uh, present his research to different audiences and get their reactions to word pairs like
1: Cocky cooch, I think it is again. I don't know if you can say it on your podcast, but I started dissecting the many reasons why cocky cooch is, is funny. And the audience started cracking up, not because cocky cooch is so funny, but, but it was hilarious to see someone break down the ten reasons why cocky cooch is is incongruous. So they were laughing at me, not with me by the time I was finished.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually Chris. He was actually presenting his research at a local bar for a nerd night. He's he's a pretty funny guy. And what he found in his research was that just by adding one more word in the mix, things got extraordinarily complicated. He was much, much less successful at predicting which word pairs would be the funniest.
1: Once you have two words, you have to double all of the properties of each word. Plus, you have to think about the properties that are about the combination of the two words. And it's really, really complicated.
2: The short answer, incongruity is complicated. And thank God.
0: Yes, indeed. Because otherwise, it's it's a bit worrying, right? To imagine that humor can just simply be predicted by computational models. I mean, what what's to stop someone who may not be a genuine comedian at all just, you know, drawing on just a list of funny words and, and trying to make people laugh?
2: Well, I don't think somebody who's not funny could ever just draw on a word and make people laugh. There's, there's magic in comedy that remains unstudied or maybe unstudiable. Humor is still very much in the realm of the mysterious, and even Chris would agree with that.
1: The scientific study of humor, as I've done it, is not destroying humor, but showing why humor is going to remain outside of the range of uh, scientific study, because there's just too many ways that we can violate incongruity. There's too many ways to be funny. We did quantify humor, but in quantifying it, we also showed it's really, really getting complicated, even when you're telling really stupid, terrible jokes.
0: Well, Nina, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and talking about poop.
2: It's always a pleasure, Patrick. Anytime you want me to talk about bodily functions, dirty words, animals, I'm I'm here for you.
0: Many thanks to Nina Porzuki. She'll be back soon with another episode, another take on humor and language. Tina Toby is our sound designer. Alison Shaw manages our newsletter and social media. Thanks also to Joanna Hausman, who's a great supporter of the podcast, and more to the point, a truly funny comedian. And thanks, as always, to Alison Reed and everyone at the Linguistic Society of America. A quick note on Arthur Schopenhauer, that depressed German philosopher. I confess 100% ignorance here, if you haven't already guessed. I have never read a word he wrote. But like a lot of people my age and background, I do know that Schopenhauer made the German team in the philosopher's football match. That's a Monty Python sketch. He played alongside Hegel and Wittgenstein against Greece and it stars Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. Had the Romans fielded a team, I'm certain Cicero would have been in goal, and he'd have kept a clean sheet. I'll post a link so you can see all of that silliness. I'll also post a link to Chris Westbury's study of funny words. Those links will be in the show notes, and also at our digital home, subtitlepod.com. Subtitle is a member of the Hub & Spoke Podcast Collective. We're a bunch of podcasters dedicated to telling stories about stuff that you're not gonna come across in most other places. Here's one of the other Hub & Spoke Podcasts, Soonish. Host Wade Roush brings you stories and conversations about technology with an eye on the future and how we might improve it if we weren't so dumb and petty. That's my editorial aside, that last bit. Wade is less jaded than me. I loved the recent Soonish episode about time zones. I can't quite figure out why I loved it so much. Maybe because it's scientifically rigorous and lyrical at the same time. It's also full of info and history that I had no idea about. And it tells a wonderful story. There's more about Soonish and all of the Hub & Spoke podcasts at hubspokeaudio.org. That's it for this podcast. Please rate and review Subtitle wherever you listen. It's great to get feedback, and those ratings and reviews help others find us. If you want to send me feedback directly, I'm on Twitter at patrickcox. That's P A T R I C O X. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the Human Endeavor
1: Hub and Spoke Audio Collective